The Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440, brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. The Discover Winter Event is on now, and they're blowing out the remaining 2023 GMCs. Discounts up to $8,000 plus 0% financing. Visit wolfgmcbuick.com. That's one of my favorite memes online. There's a subway, and there's a little dog with nobody around it. And then it took the midnight train going anywhere. I love it. Have you ever seen that? I don't know if I have. Okay. I don't know. might have been before my time. Well, a lot of things are that I know. Uh, One of them is that uh, Jimmy Williams passed away. Uh, Jimmy Williams probably best known for not being the guy who got the uh, Jays to the World Series to win. That would be Cito Gaston. But he also, he got into a, it wasn't just him, but he got into a big time disagreement with George Bell, Jorge Bell, who had been the MVP and signed a new deal. And part of the deal was that he would be DH. And uh, Bell felt like he would be DH for a certain amount of money. They signed him for less. And then as far as he was concerned, he'd play left field. And no disrespect to George Bell, wonderful, wonderful hitter, not a great fielder. Uh, and he and Jimmy Williams got into a um, a very public and very, very unattractive look uh, argument and feud that lasted some time. Now, it wasn't Lenny Randall level, but it was um, it, it lasted for a long time. Jimmy Williams, one half of that exchange passed away today. They had a great outfield back then. Was Barfield Bell Mosby, I believe. I think that's correct. And they won a lot of ball games. Let's get Barry back. Okay, sure. That's from Bobby Clobber. Where's Risto Siltonen these days, says Greg. I had mentioned Gary Doak. And we got off on a tangent. This segment, I'd like to talk about the National Football League. Uh, on the weekend, the Detroit Lions were up big at halftime. And we know the Atlanta Falcons taught us that being up big at halftime means Jack Doodley because you can still lose if you play poorly enough in the second half. And in fact, Detroit did that yesterday. They also had some curious decisions. And I, I turned to my learned friend, as Dave Jamison would say, and I ask you, I always feel like in these situations that teams in the second half, when you're up big like that, you want long drives that result in points, even if it's just three points. So with that as the prelude, and maybe even we include the latter part of the the first half in this conversation, what were the Detroit Lions thinking, Declan? Well, I think a big part of the mindset around Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson, who's their OC, was let's not get away from what got us to the dance and what got us to this point. And a lot of what had got them to that point was, you know, the big cojones on Dan Campbell to go for it in those fourth down situations. Which can be a mistake because then you sort of feel like you have to live up to your reputation. Absolutely. Yes. And you pointed that out very aptly in our in our pre-show meeting that, you know, sometimes you feel like you have to do this because it's your reputation and not because it's what's best for the team. Now, I'm sure Dan Campbell has, you know, been over the numbers. I'm sure he's been over it with his coaching staff, with his quarterback, with his skill positions players. I'm sure he did feel like it was right for the team. But at the end of the day, and again, kicks, what things can happen. They can get blocked. You can miss. But presumably speaking, you left six points on the board 
in these two field goal situations on fourth down, on fourth down, and you end up losing the game by three points. And then you get to the mismanaged clock when you're driving late in the game. And it was a great drive. Jared Goff put together a great drive, got the uh, lines down the field. But when you run it on third down there, now all of a sudden you have to burn the timeout. So you have to score and you have to get the onside kick. You don't have all three of your timeouts to, you know, stop the clock when San Francisco has the ball and try and get it back with 40, 50 seconds left, whatever it may be, and go down and kick a field goal. So it, you know, there, there was some mismanagements and we, and we had a text in very early in the show that, you know, it, they hey the the balls were dropped the the plays were the right call and yeah maybe the plays were the right call hindsight's twenty twenty maybe if the catch gets made it happens but even if even if the catch gets made you don't know what's going to happen on the rest of that drive what you do know is presumably you left three points on the board in two separate situations and you end up losing the game by three points I I just think some of the play calling was a little shoddy and I get you have to do what's made you successful and what your team is built on. But there comes a point when I think the analytics ruin the game or maybe not ruin the game. Maybe that's too harsh. But I think there comes a point when analytics need to be taken into a different kind of consideration than what is happening right now in the game and what the flow of the game is looking like. I thought those were two perfect examples. And I I thought the Detroit Lions shot themselves in the foot a little bit. So I'm going to talk to you about something that people might not like. But I, I do think that sometimes, and, and football coaches are a prime example, sometimes ego becomes too much of the story and it has too much impact on the decision making. And the reputation here is, is balls out. They make a, the, the, it's okay to, to, to check down get the points and live to fight another day. Well, same day, but, you know, another possession. And for that, I think, you know, the people say, well, in the first half, it's different. You're Now you're later in the game. And I think that, I think maturation is a thing. And I think that Detroit may never in my lifetime get back to uh, this spot they were yesterday. And sometimes, you know, Manning up, being a man, being tough means being tough enough to to make the right call and endure the slings and arrows of people who say, hey, well, you didn't balls out there because who cares? You got the points. And I have the numbers in front of me. The, f- the first fourth down they went for, the fourth and two in the third quarter, the analytics suggest going for it, you have a 90.5% chance to win the game. The field goal suggests you have a 90.3% chance to win the game. That is not a huge difference. And one is seemingly a much more high percentage play. The the second one, the fourth and three in the fourth quarter, if you go for it, 39.1% chance to win the game. Kick the field goal, 38.8% chance to win the game. Again, not huge, but one of them seems to be a more sure play. And I get the analytics are close. I get that, you know, it's right there. But when you look at it in those terms and when you look at how the game went and how San Francisco was playing, I can't help but think the wrong decision was made. I'm going to refer to it a conversation I had years ago with Todd Dello, uh, who now works with the New Jersey Devils. And it went something like this. I said, he said there was new... Um, analytics that were coming in, they were going to measure more things and it was going to be better. Um, like the, the sequences would be even more, uh, parsed and they would get better information. And I said, okay. I said, that means that the better information will be available universally. And he said, 
No. He said, everybody's going to get the information, but finding the gem, finding the kernel, finding the right piece of information, gathering the information is one thing, but but applying it, that it does require creativity. And I think that so what we've done is we've created analytics to say this is the this is the answer. We've got our Ten Commandments of hockey and its analytics, and yet it does still come down to making a decision, and then the outcome is is vulnerable to things like luck, chance. Did you see that? What was the San Francisco interception? Who was that? The late one, the one. Yeah, down. it was. I forget. I forget which player it was. I'll, I'll look it up. Anyway, right it was like if if you if you watch that play and you go, well, that was a bad call. Why did the offense do that? Come on now. Like that was like a circus catch. I mean, I like I, I luck. Somebody should write a book called Luck. And before you bet a dime on sports, understand that it has a huge impact on all of this stuff. So there, I've had my say. As far as the Ravens are concerned, until that, until that quarterback retires, the AFC is going to be a tough place to get out of. See, you got to think that loss is a little bit easier to swallow for the Ravens because even though they were the one seed and Lamar Jackson is presumably going to win his second MVP this year, you can kind of just say, you know what? We ran into Patrick Mahomes. That's Patrick Mahomes. That's greatness. What happens, happens. And also, a lot of credit to Steve Spagnola to hold that offense to to the margin they held them to. Do you, he did an incredible job as the DC. Don't you feel like the... Like- don't you feel like time is running out for the Ravens but this quarterback? A little bit, a little bit, but I like it's tough. It's tough because what are you going to do? So you say. What are you going to do? Like you're in a you're in a conference with Patrick Mahomes who is the class of the conference and I read a tweet that was like Patrick Mahomes is going to be the MJ of his era and there are going to be a whole bunch of ringless people because of what he's able to do and there are going to be a whole bunch of people in the AFC and some great quarterbacks who are never going to get a chance to go to the uh Super Bowl. And we've seen that now with Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen years over. Joe Burrow obviously obviously has one there so he had he at least has that feather in his cap but you know it brings up a great point and you obviously never accept it and you always keep competing and you always try and build a roster but there comes a point in time where you just say maybe this guy really is you know on on a goat trajectory and we just have to you know if we beat him great but if we lose we have to to some degree accept that we're just going up against greatness week in week out well i think he's great because the eagles lost to brady and now they lost to mahomes in the super bowl so they only lose to great quarterbacks in the super bowl I think it was, um, was it Plunkett in 81? I think it was for the Raiders. Detroit kicker kind of sucks too, so maybe that played into it from Red. Everyone knows from playing Madden that you'll get burnt going fourth down all the time from Husks. Well, yeah. I wonder if Campbell's head is on the chopping block. I don't think there's a chance that'll happen. Horrible coaching. They handed the game back to the Niners. Dan Campbell pulled a Don Matthews. And thought he was smarter than the game. It's great when it works, but when it doesn't, it's true. I remember Whitey Herzog. Would, one time he had a great closer named Todd Worrell. And Worrell could get any righty out. 
And but the lefty came, lefty pinch hitter came in, and Worrell moved his closer to right field, substituted him, brought in a lefty, and then brought Worrell back. I don't think you can do that now because of what Herzog did. It worked out. Looks like a genius. If it doesn't, look like a fool. I also just want to say Michael Badgley, he only kicked four field goals this year. You know, he had spent some time hurt, but he was 100% on kicks this year. So I don't don't think I can lean into that one and say that was an issue. Only four kicks, very small sample size, but, you know, he still made all of them. And I believe three of them were from between 30 and 39, which would have been in the range for at least one of those kicks. Yeah. So Well, I mean, we have time to parse all of this now, but I, I, I just... I'm always sensitive to the idea that somebody, a guy with a reputation for being like, you know, f- forceful and aggressive ends up having it bite him in the ass because that like it's live by the what sword. Did the, what did the, the OC sword. want? What what did the OC want? I would imagine Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson is, I think, a terrific offensive coordinator. I imagine he would have wanted his offense out there on the field. Fourth and three, though. Yes, that's a four, fourth it's and a, two and fourth and three are different things. A hundred percent. Fourth and three is a tough yardage because that's uh, a pass. Yeah, it's a passing down, and the thing is, you can't really get into too many deep routes on fourth and three because obviously you don't need much. But shallow routes are very, very easy to read when you just have the the backers in zone and the corners in a cut coverage. So it is a tough one to play against. I, I give you that, but yeah, I I mean the the offense has been so dynamic. Ben Johnson has been so great this whole year. I would I would imagine he wanted to be out, wanted them to be out there for that one. So the people who who ripped on the quarterback, the Niners quarterback in the first half, I saw a lot of it online. They got to take that back, or is this going to be the? He's got to win a Super Bowl before people get off his back. I don't know. Like this is the same offense Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl in. I don't. I think Brock Purdy is. I think there is some unnecessary hate on Brock Purdy. I do think Brock, Brock Purdy is better than a very good majority of quarterbacks in the NFL. But I mean, like, listen, he was Mister Irrelevant for a reason. Now he's wrote the ship a little bit. But like I just said, this is the same offense that Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl in. Okay. When you have all those weapons and when you have the best running back in the league and you have Kyle Shanahan calling your plays and you have Trent Williams blocking for you on the left side, it makes things a heck of a lot easier. Even with a Super Bowl, I mean, they're, you know, they're non-dynamic quarterbacks who have won Super Bowls. Joe Flacco. Oh, if you mention Nick Foles, I'm coming over there. Nick Foles might be the best example. Nick Foles so, and Jesus won that Super Bowl for the Eagles. Yeah, Jesus won that Super Bowl. Listen, both coming over there. You give the put some respect on Nick Foles' name. He got the fourth and sixth as Ertz. Holy! Well, and Nick Foles was the one who called the Philly special. I don't know if you've ever seen the video. Yeah, no, I he's have. Talking, yeah, it. he's talking to Doug Peterson on the sideline. He says, "Hey." You want to run Philly Philly? And then Nick, or Doug kind of looks up at him and something clicks and he says, yeah, let's do it. Fourth and, and six was the thing. And I'll tell you why. Because the nobody has the gumption to go and do it against the Patriots and they count on it. And that game, ladies and gentlemen and children, that game that the Eagles won the Super Bowl in, Brady damn near beat them anyway. You, you, it's like, Choking a horse, you better pack a lunch because it's going to take you all day. I don't even know what that means. Okay, Gregor on the way. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440 for Wolf GMC Buick. Visit wolfgmcbuick.com. And we say hi to Doug and to Mary today. And we also say hello to a dapper Dan, Jason Gregor, looking fine today. Al, how you doing? I'm well. Looking good there, sir. 
Hey, no hair, man. It's great. The toque's great gone. Time. Yeah. Well, the toque's still here, but I'm inside. So now it, uh, although you don't really need toque weather today, man. It's like what? Plus 11. Oh, it's today. ridiculous. It's crazy. I worry about, because if it gets cold again, we're going to be shivering. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We need more snow, man. You saw that report about something like 50 fires still going in Alberta. That's yeah. not good. Well, and you know, spring is not that far away. You no. need stuff to grow. Yeah. Right? We need some moisture for sure. Okay. So, uh, let's start here. The orders don't play for like a week and a day. Uh, and they've got a, a record to tie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's two ways. Number one, they're going to be like rested. Number two, Vegas has a long layoff too, but you'd like that game to be tomorrow night. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, I can see why the orders obviously you want to keep rolling. You know, if you look at their January schedule, they had two and three days off a lot of the time, right? Uh, they would play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays, and, you know, they had Monday, Sunday off every week. So, yep. you know, they, they kept playing well uh, with the rest. Uh, you know, there was a few guys with some nagging injuries, so that'll probably help them. Uh, you know, Vegas is obviously banged up themselves. No Jack Eichel when they come back. Uh, I think the benefit for the orders is that, you know, they'll have McDavid and Drysaddle. I know the all-star game people are like, yeah, it doesn't matter, but the skills competition does matter this year, right? And it's going to be highly competitive. And I just think knowing McDavid and Dry, like the best players want to be the best, yes. right? They want it. They're, they're, they're humble, but they're highly driven. And and I do think that there will be a slight benefit. Like McDavid and Drysaddle, as we've seen here the last few games, uh, you need your best players to be your best players some nights. And it hasn't been every night in this 16-game uh, 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 winning streak. But there are going to be some games where you'll need your best players. And I think just the fact that those two have had some puck touches, they're not going to, you know. Now, I don't know if they left Saturday night. I didn't even ask. If they left Saturday night for four days, you go to Cabo and then you go into Toronto on Thursday. They could do it. Sure. Right. If sure. they wanted to. Um, I think they did last year, even if it was for three days. So I don't know if it's ultimately going to matter really at the end of the day. Uh, Vegas has the same break. And you know what? You come in. I look at it this way. You win that game against Vegas. Then you're rested for two days, and then you got Anaheim on the Friday yeah, for the record. It could be the record, yeah. Uh, I will say this, that I do think, that's just my opinion, I do think that what you said is right about the hand-eye and the, the fact that they've had practice a little bit. Uh, it's not like home run derby, where guys are trying to hit home runs, and then they often come back from it, and they go into a little bit of a slump. Yeah, yeah, this is different. It's like one-timers, hardest shot, which... Um, McDavid's not doing either one of those. Uh, Drysaddle, I think, is going to do the the uh, one-timer. Drysaddle won't do fastest skater. Obviously, McDavid will be in the fastest skater. Then they're both going to be in the passing drills. And You know what? I, I think it'll be fun uh, just because this, A, remember, McDavid was the one who really was working with the NHL for this to come to fruition. So yeah. you know he's going to want to put on a show. And doesn't mean he's going to win. Like, honestly, I don't know who – like, it's hard to pick against McDavid. No. But – and especially if he's not doing the, the one-timer or the hardest shot, I'm like, hey, hard to pick against him in the other drills. But, man, Nathan McKinnon's pretty good. Kucherov's pretty good. Like, yeah. you know, is, is there one guy you'd say, wow, I don't really give much of a chance? I've seen some people saying it's JT Miller, and I'm like, okay, I guess. But, like, Elias Pettersson could shoot the pill, man. Yes, he like, can. And he's, yeah. he's a pretty good player. Like, I love this. Like, it'll um, – it's something I think a lot of people will be watching the skills competition this I year. Agree. because. It's actually a competition. Yeah. What about the draft? I know it's kind of up and down, and I mean, everybody's worried that they're going to be Phil Kessel, but I like the <laughs> idea of it. I never like. Uh, Phil had a great attitude because, uh, oh, so just wait. I'm the last pick of the best players. Oh, woe is me. Like, give me no, a break. If that's no. the worst thing in your life that happens is that you end up being the final pick at a, and I don't call it the, the very good game, Al, great. 
Uh, let's be real here. It's pretty easy if you want to get down to the final three or four players on who they're going to pick here because there's there's guys in this in this very good game who aren't all stars, right? Because the NHL decides, well, we need a representation for every team. We'll accept Al if there's an injury because now there's no representation from Chicago. There's no representation from Vegas, but the game still goes on. It's amazing how that works. Right? It's almost like Al, you don't need someone from every team. The the classic example was Sather in, like, I don't remember the year, but he had both goalies. It was 80, yeah. 80 might have been 85 or 6. I think there was eight guys, yeah. maybe even more. Uh, you, Lee Fogland was there. Yeah, you can, you can take four guys here and not even apologize. McDavid, Leon, Bouchard, Hyman belong. Oh, yeah. Well, Bouchard's in tough because of the format, right? But sure. he still probably would get in because there's him and Quinn Hughes. Yeah, no question about it. I think like Zach Hyman, when when they had replacements and they didn't name Hyman, who's from Toronto, right? Uh, they put in Kyle Connor, and I thought, okay, well maybe they they want a central division person to replace a central division person. And and Kyle Connor's a really good player. Don't oh yeah, know. he's yeah. actually probably more deserving of his career. But to me, if you make it an All Star game, make it about that year and just make it the best guys. Because then you know what, Al? Later on in life, when you're like, hey, five time All Star, it has some meaning. No. Right now, it doesn't have as much. Yeah, uh, the season ending one does, but not the yeah, the, that's the first or second team All Star. Yeah. yeah, so. Um, going up to the deadline, I think Pickard, uh, I don't worry about CC. I like CC. I, I'm not concerned about that position, but I think Dylan Holloway and Corey Perry, those three, the owners are going to monitor how well they play and it might somewhat dictate what they do at the deadline. Fair? To an extent, yes. I still think they're going to, they would like to add a right shot center who plays more like Derek Ryan. Plays on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. All right. And then like, look at, look at la- like last game to me was the first game where you saw the healthy roster, 12 forward, six defensemen, right? Like I don't have Sam Gagne in my top 12. Right. Good depth guy. Great. Derek Ryan played the fewest minutes I uh, of anybody right. and everybody else was 12 plus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you look at the five on five and other guys, he was kind of rotating in to take his spot. I just look and. I think Chris Knobloch, a right shot center, Al, who can play five on five and penalty kill. Right. Not that Derek Ryan can't. Right. And I know that they really like him in the room. So I'm not saying they would get rid of him per no, se, no. but yeah. I I know it's it's not about who you like, it's who do we think can help us. And that's something I think they're going to look at. I'm with you. In an ideal world, would you like a better puck retriever and passer with nurse? Yes, 100%. But I'm sorry. I understand that Sean Walker does those elements better. He doesn't defend better. No. And he's not six foot three, six foot two. Like, size does matter when all things are equal on your blue line in the, in the playoffs. And and obviously there's the exceptions. McCarr is a lead. Hughes is a lead. Fox is a lead. Although we haven't seen Quinn Hughes in the playoffs, but we will. Um, so that's where I look at, although maybe he was there in the bubble. I can't remember. But either way, um, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Sean Walker. I, I know I've seen lots of articles, and I get all the numbers. But do I want Sean Walker playing with Nurse, who's going to play the, the still plays the tough minutes? Yeah. Like, just look at their five on five minutes during the winning streak. It's yeah. right there for anybody to see. He yeah. still he plays more than Bouchard and Ekholm, and I love Evan Bouchard. But Evan Bouchard is still not a guy that I want defending at crunch time. Yeah, they um, do. They have enough outside of the roster to get. Lindholm out of Calgary. Do they have enough? 
Well, I don't think they have the cap space would be the uh, cha- I-, I think Vancouver is going to make a push for him, mm. to be honest. Um, I don't. And again, it's going to come down to who's going to offer you more. But I, I don't think Edmonton has the cap space to do that. What right? about Monaghan? Would he be a target? Well, he makes way more sense because yeah. it's 1.95, right? Um, but like Sean Monaghan's putting up really good numbers. Sean Monaghan is playing like the guy before the injury. Yes. When, when he was... I don't, I don't think people realize that Sean Monaghan, same draft year, had more goals than Nathan McKinnon up until two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? He's a, he was a really consistent shooter yeah. and, and player. And now he's back to healthy. He's got a dirt cheap cap hit of 1.9. You know, if, if Montreal retains half and you trade away a guy, you're you're pretty much taking everything even. So Sean Monaghan, I think, would be an easier trade. And I would, and I argued this on Daily Faceoff with Frank Saravalli that when I look at what the cost is going to be, I believe that you can get more value in Sean Monaghan than what you're after going to give up to get Lindo. I think you can make an argument for that. Do you think Monaghan will cost a first? That's a good question. Um, I don't. It's a good, depends. Like. Like a first is is always subjective because are we talking like if it's going to be twenty four to thirty two yeah twenty four to thirty two yeah maybe but it depends what like would Calgary want a second and another prospect right, right. It, it all depends on on what you're what you're willing to give up what are they looking at uh, or sorry Montreal and, and Monaghan and and what they're looking at so yeah. like they might want to take some some younger players that are you know three years removed from a draft that have played a year in the american league that they think can play rather than take a first round that's not going to help them for five years yeah. uh one final thing that we're going to talk about football uh i talked to some people on the weekend they suggested to me uh that you know borgo would have value i think people have to realize that minor league players who are struggling even if they're first round picks their their value is not no. tremendous yeah. they just don't they don't move the needle oh because guess what Go around the American League. There's lots of them. Yes. Oh, former first rounder, first year pro, second year pro, struggling. Okay. Let's get on the list. Because guess what? And I've always said this out two years after your draft, three years after your draft, I don't really care where you were drafted. Yeah. P- most good scouts, it's irrelevant anymore. Ah, it was a first, yeah, he was a first round in the eyes of someone, maybe not our team. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, you know, Burgo is a young player still. We'll, we'll see where he goes, but he, his value is not nearly as high as people. Some people would value a first rounder more because then they trust their guys to pick who it is. Right. I agree with that totally. All right. Raphael Lavoie would have more because he can shoot, yep. he can score, and he's got a little, did you see that he had a pretty good tilt over there? Yeah, he did. He too. got hurt on it, but he's not a broken hand, so he yeah. should be fine. Yeah, it's probably, yeah. and you know yeah. what? Uh, that'll happen, but he, he's a physical player. Yeah. Um, I, I think, and he's got different dimensions. He might never be a scorer at the NHL level right. as a big scorer, but if you can play in your bottom six because of his size, like Borgo is kind of limited. Now he is on the penalty kill. They're starting, because if you can't kill penalties, and you're not a scorer, well, then you, what you really what do, right? You, like, yeah. and because Burgo is not really physical, he's not really big, he's not really fast, right? Yeah. Skill player. Yeah. So I think Lavoie right now would have more value than Burgo. Yeah, I agree with that totally. Okay. If you're a Detroit Lions fan, you got to the final four, but you lost on a kind of a, well, I, I will say they, they played well, but, but the second half killed them. And then maybe some decisions from the coaching staff really hurt. Well, the thing is, if if you follow Detroit closely for three years, that's how Dan Campbell coached all the time, right? He he went for it a lot. Now, some will say, you know what, that can work, but could you have kicked? Like to to me, it wasn't so much he didn't kick it; it was fourth down, and then he threw it. They they went deep to Aaron St. Brown. I didn't like the pl- like. If you're not gonna, you don't need to get a home run there. You just need to get a first down. Yeah. So, but they've been aggressive all year long, and it and it you know it, it didn't. 
it didn't work out for them at this time. But I, so I'm torn. Like I'm like, man, they don't get there here without being that way all the time. Yeah. So it's the old adage, I'll, uh, you know, go with who got you to the dance. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. At the and same time, had he kicked one of the two, yeah, I think it would mean you know what, bye, <laughs> be tie game maybe. So, but I give him credit, man. They did not quit. They just kept going, and that's kind of the attitude and the mentality of that team. Uh, you know, the 49ers being a good team, they've been around for a while, and, you know, they were terrible in the first half. They were. So, and they got a little bit of luck, the one interception. Yes. They had some luck in yeah, the second which half. which you need at some point. So, yeah. you know what, it, it makes for an interesting game because, you know, KC beat uh, the Ravens, and uh, the Ravens' defense, I think, is better than the 49ers' defense. And the Ravens, like, the Ravens, you can argue there are people, ah, oh, their defense wasn't good. I'm like, what are you talking about? They went five consecutive series where the KC had to punt the ball. And, and then the six, and then they took a knee. I'm like, man, they didn't really give up much. So, yeah, the, like 17 points. If you give up 17 points, you should be able to win. Um, it was two really good defenses. And, you know, obviously Lamar had the one interception that he would like back, no question. But... I thought that was a pretty good game, right? Like, Casey, you went to your best guys. They went with Rasheed Rice and obviously Kelsey. Yeah. And then Mahomes. And that yeah. was, and then, the, you know, they obviously had Pacheco. And that's really what they ran their offense around. Yeah, and, and they didn't drop balls. Like, they, they there was a lot of drop balls in that town. Dude, all, like, that, I was chuckling earlier when all these, anal- oh, they really missed their offensive coordinator. Does he have Sikkim? Is, <laughs> is he going to make them catch the ball? The play calling wasn't the reason. When you have guys wide open and they're dropping balls, it's not play calling. No. And so here they are again. There is something to be said in the NFL for sure. You have an elite quarterback who knows how to win. It makes a difference. Like Lamar Jackson's probably going to get his second MVP. Yes. He's a hell of a guy. Yeah. But he's not Pat Mahomes. So Mahomes wins again. Do, do we start moving him up the pantheon of, like, where does he? Because, I mean, there's always the talk about the greatest quarterback of era yeah. and then of all time. This would be two in a row is a hell of an accomplishment. Well, it'd be his third, too, yeah. right? And yeah. At 28 years of age. And, you know, obviously it's super hard to, to get to the most all time. But when I just look at pure athleticism and not just, you know, he could, he was a better scrambler, right? Like he could bring different elements than Brady did. No question. Right. So that'll always be a debate. But yeah, he's got to win now, right? No. Because otherwise it'll be two and two in the Super Bowl. So, no. um, which is still pretty damn good because that means you got there four times. But don't ask Tarkin then. Yeah. Like it's, uh, you know, it's a big game. And honestly, like I look at the 49ers and I can see people saying, Hey, that's the game they got away with. Now they're going to be better in two weeks. And, and there's some validity to that, but I will say this the chiefs defense is very good. Yeah. And the lions defense got exposed in the second half, but they limited yeah. San Fran in the first half. And so the one thing about the chiefs defense, um, and even without one of their key linebackers, they still were able to shut down Lamar. So I, I think this can be a great game. I, you know, I'd love to see there be a lot of points, but something tells me it might be a lower-scoring game. I think in the second half, if the Chiefs get their way, they'll run the ball a lot in the second half, throw it a lot in the first half. And man, I just I, I think the Mahomes legend has already great. But if he wins this one, you know, because the Ravens were... The people I talked to thought the Ravens were going to win that game. Mm-hmm. And, you know... I'm not saying the Chiefs blew them out. They did not, but no. they played. They won the a tough yes. football game. Yeah, that was. It's funny because when you think of Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, you were thinking, okay, there's going to be a lot more fireworks in this game. But it was the two top ranked defenses, and they sure. showed it. They, there's only a combined 27 points in that game. That's that's a pretty good defensive game by both. 
Yeah. By the way, I uh, just an aside. I heard a lot of really good things about the uh, uh, the Robin Brownlee uh, event on the weekend and the and your speech as well. So oh. I know that was a uh, a tough thing for you, and I'm, I know you did well. Oh so. well, thanks. I appreciate that. Now you know what it was. I got to learn. I, I knew Robin obviously quite well, but I learned lots about him. Uh, um, uh, his, his childhood friends had some great stories. Uh, uh, you know, Bronte. I, you know, it's funny. I God, I wish I would have known some of those stories beforehand because I would have loved him. So, can you tell me about the time you stole a car? <laughs> he was hitchhiking back from uh, out east. It got cold. He's a Vancouver guy and yeah. obviously wasn't dressed. And uh, you know, and I remember this. Bronte had the big long hair, yeah. leather jacket, the three inch platforms. You know, he thought he was a backup dancer and Kiss. Yeah. And uh, I guess he was hit. He decided to hitchhike his way home from. Now this is a different era, of course. Sure, right? Like you're talking in the in the late '70s, early '80s, and so I got into Saskatchewan, and he's at a truck stop. I guess it's cold and freezing, or whatever. And somebody's car was running, and Bronte jumped in it and drove it till it ran out of gas. <laughs> So I didn't do any damage to it. I'm not recommending that, kids. But no. just a different time when lots of people used to uh, used to hitchhike and thinking, you know, hey, I'm just going to hitchhike home across the province. Oh, people would do that all yeah. the time, like yeah. from the, from Ontario to to BC. Well, you know, it's a it's a poke, but yeah. you know, why not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's coming up on the show? Uh, we're we're actually going to uh, to look at the. Um, a little bit of the order schedule mm-hmm. upcoming, but not just Edmonton's schedule. Uh, I took the time to look at all of the the uh, you know the com- competition schedule. Uh, did you know Vancouver has a seven game road trip, but then they got a nine game homestand. Wow! Right, wow. nine games. That's crazy to me. And and I was looking at Dallas. Dallas in the month of February Al, plays every game in a different city. Oh my God! Because they're on the road, then they'll come home for one, then they're back on the road, then they come home for one. That's it's a crazy schedule for yeah. Dallas. So I was looking, you know, yeah, Edmonton has games on hand. That's a benefit. Uh, you know, they got a tough April with with uh, ten games in eighteen days, and you know, three sets of back to backs in that time. But so I wanted to look at all the other ones, oh. and and kind of so we'll go through that. Um, obviously, we're going to talk some uh, some NFL. Uh, we'll have a little bit of fun. Who are you picking, Al? Who wins the uh, the All Star Game Skills Competition? Well, I mean. I think McDavid, right? Honestly, I don't know. There's no favorite. I don't see how you can pick a clear favorite. That's why I love this. Well, I, I just I pick him because I just because I think, it's McDavid. But well, I think because you said he picked the, you know, he he wanted this. They got it. I think he'll want to you know make it entertaining. How about in the last eleven or last thirteen months? Who leads oh. the NHL in scoring? Well, Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. He's been really good. Kucherov's been really good. Yeah. Like it's it's fascinating to me, man. Like. I can see why people in Edmonton say McDavid, but I can see why people say McKinnon. I'm like, it's hard to find an argument and say, what are you talking about, you idiot? Like, McKinnon's pretty good. <laughs> Kucherov's pretty good. Like, and this skill, like, it's a different, it's like you're, you're showing off their, their abilities in a small competition. Like, what about the target shooting? Just, are you on that day? No. Well, all I know is Greg Polis won two cars, and that was the big part Oof. back in 1972 or whatever it was. Jason, <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks, Appreciate Al. It. Jason Greger coming up at 2 o'clock today. We'll take a break right now. On the way, Mama MMA with our friend Declan. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. Yeah, it's the Lowdown on Sports 1440 for Wolf GMC Buick. Check him out at wolfgmcbuick.com. Oh, man. We do Mama MMA every Monday at 140. And the price for Declan to do this is that song. And I made off like a bandit. What a great deal. 
Oh, doctor, does that not put you in a good mood? No, it does. I, you know, I, I just kind of wish the segment would be revered for its content instead of it the intro song. It is revered for its you know. content. It's just an old man wanting to hear. I, you know, I thought if we ever did a, a wrestling one, we would do Ring Ring by ABBA, as Ooh. in In the Ring. But I like that. You can do that looking- for boxing as well. Yeah. Although I guess this kind of doubles is as that, a boxing yeah. segment. Yeah. I'm looking for an NBA song, something that we could do NBA. I think it really just needs to be the NBA on NBC theme. Like that was, oh, to me, the best theme song in all of sports. You're absolutely right. I've looked for it in the system here. It doesn't exist. I would imagine we can't play it off YouTube. There might Probably be some not. copyright purposes yeah. there. But uh, Could yeah. we do the Brent Musburger, you are looking live. Could oh, we do that? I love Brent Musburger. Yeah. He used to. He used I did to, until he did that thing with the girlfriend of the football player. Oh, buddy, that's what I was going to tell you. Like, he would be on that broadcast for Alabama games on CBS, and he was... He would go a little nuts. Yeah. He would not hold back. And uh, I loved him and Keith Jackson. Oh, Nelly! Do you have have two favorite broadcasters of all time? Of all the broadcasters? Yeah, like a pairing that whenever they were calling the game, you were like, this is it. um, Locally, Rod Phillips with Ken Brown, Mm -hmm. all-time favorite. He did work with Semenko and others, but Kenny Brown and Rod Phillips could make each other laugh, and that was top drawer. Uh, I love Danny Gallivan and Dick Irvin. Dick Irvin is going to be interviewed Wednesday by Kevin Carius right here on Sports 1440. Um, For football, I I, I love Summerall and Madden. I love them. One of the reasons was because Pat Summerall's Murder, She Wrote promos were... Uh, coming up after the late local news, except on the West Coast, murder, comma, she wrote. And then he'd have some line he'd have to read, and he'd just, like, he'd do it, but barely. Uh, and then I also really liked the original Monday Night Football crew, which was Dandy Don Meredith, Frank Gifford, and, uh, Frank Gifford, Gifford, and, uh, Howard Cosell. They were really good. All great answers. For me, it was probably Chris Cuthbert and Glenn Suter doing, great, uh, doing the CFL on TSN. Suter is really good. Oh, Suter was incredible the way he could break down the game. And for me, like Chris Cuthbert's voice, like I could, I could listen to him call anything. He could no. be calling croquet. He could be calling, you know, polo. It didn't matter. Like his, you know, voice who could do that is Jim Lampley. Oh, my God. I love Don't his even. calls. Well, Jim, like that old team at, at HBO that was him, Harold Letterman, oh Emmanuel God. Stewart. Like Emmanuel There's Stewart. Into my veins. Forget love about it. Another guy. Emmanuel Stewart. I could listen to talk about boxing all day. Like some yeah. fights I'll go back and rewatch just to hear him talking about it because he talked like he was obviously a trainer and, you know, trained some of the you know biggest stars in the sport. And the way he could talk about it was just it was I just felt like I was always learning when the, I was listening. The to him. best commentator in the history of sports, though, Toller Cranston on figure skating. Wow. He, oh, no. He unleashed the hounds. He was he, he did. He care, he was pure. It was it was it's like battery acid he if there was a mistake or something he didn't like Dollar Cranston was vicious I loved him we're really getting off topic here but just one more I need to throw it along that vein is Peter Drury for soccer like when yeah. he calls the World Cups oh my goodness he sounds like he's Shakespeare or something the the the, the British and soccer it's it's oh forget about the, it the the words they use they're in the dictionary and you know they're there but they bring them alive I love British soccer uh, play-by-play 
All right. Well, we got about three minutes here for Mama MMA, <laughs> which is sorry. actually no, no, no. This is actually probably the best time this could have happened because there was no UFC card this past week, and there was a one card, uh, Sage Northcut. Northcut, and uh, UFC fans may be familiar with him. He had to pull out on a day's notice. John Lineker stepped up, took the fight. I, I didn't see much of the card, just a couple highlights. And the next card that the UFC has coming up, uh, Delizze versus Imovov, is it leaves a little to be desired. There's some good fun fights at the top. I would say it's a top heavy fight night card. Not not a whole lot of you know great stuff going on. The next pay per view is going to be on February 17th. That's going to be a cracker. But I wonder, you know. Uh, we've done this segment for a while, and I've never really thrown it to you. And is there anything you've ever wanted to ask me about the sport, or any questions you've had that haven't come up and haven't been covered? I, I would like to ask you this, and it's a um, I don't know, but the the heavyweight boxing era that I remember was when I was young. My dad and mm-hmm. I would watch. You know, Norton was new. That's how old yep. Ali, Frazier, <coughs> Foreman, all those great fighters. There was like ten of them. They were great. They all had pretty long careers. Yep. Foreman fought too long. So Way too long. But so it, did Ali. Still with about his wits, though. Sure. D- because MMA, is, I perceive it as being extremely violent. Does the average career for really good MMA combatants, is it about what boxing was? Back then? It's probably more or less the same. Another thing is, you know, M- MMA is so new. And the UFC is so new. And it's... You, you see some of the guys who were fighting in the original UFCs when it was tournament style, and they, their careers obviously wouldn't last that long. But you look, you look at a guy like Steve Miocic, who's been going at it for you know a decade plus now. He's obviously on the tail end. John Jones, who you know originally won the the world light heavyweight title in 2011, and he's still going. He's still kicking. He's probably going to retire soon as well. So I guess I guess now that I've said this out loud, it's a little bit shorter. Um, but boxing is generally thought of to be a more dangerous sport, which is you know the funny parts around. Well, visually, MMA looks, but here's the problem with boxing. People don't realize, I will say this and you'll tell me I'm wrong, but I was always told the reason that people die in the ring is often the, the, the smaller guys, the big guys, they knock each other out. But the smaller guys, they take a lot of head hits, yes. and, but they can endure a lot of head hits because the, the force isn't like it would be with a heavier man. Mm-hmm. But because of that, the cumulative effect can kill you. 100% correct. You're 100% correct. And another thing about MMA, I would agree, visually looks more dangerous. And you have elbows that are slicing and you have knees that are slicing and they kick and all that. But MMA has so many different facets. There's wrestling. There's jujitsu. There's a lot more clinch work. Boxing, obviously a good body shot is is incredible to have in your bag in boxing, but so much of it is predicated on the head. And here's another thing. In MMA, if you get knocked down, a guy kind of jumps on you, a couple follow-up punches, fight's called. That's generally how it goes with, you know, ground and pound or TKO finishes. In boxing, you get knocked down, concussed beyond your gourds, have no idea where you are, they count to eight and you get back up yeah. and go take you punches for another again. 24 yeah. minutes. Yeah. So. Like Pauli Malinaji, who was a former world champion in two different weight classes, tells tales of when he used to box, he would, you know, get knocked down or take a, take a significant shot and not remember the rest no. of the fight. And you're just fighting on muscle memory at that point. So it's a lot more predicated to no. the head. And yeah, it's such a tough sport. sport. You get knocked down, you get up again. You're never going to keep me down. Then you drink a whiskey drink and a vodka drink, a lager drink, and then a cider drink. And before you know it, you're at the end of uh, Mama MMA here. So yeah. we, <laughs> All did, right. we did pretty well today. I enjoyed today. I, I had a lot of fun. Um, I don't have any idea what we said, 
But thanks for tuning into the Lowdown, brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. Jason Greger is on the way next. We'll have a great show for you tomorrow. Daniel Nugent Bowman will join us. We'll talk about his article today where he interviewed Jeff Jackson. Some really good stuff in there. So thanks for tuning in. Enjoy your day, Greger, next. And it's time for an update.